Today's theme is God's recipe for contentment. It is November 26, the week after Thanksgiving, and here at Divine Savior Church, we are worshiping around that theme, God's recipe for contentment. But before we begin, I want to tell you a story. The Wilson family had a tradition. Every year, they would go to Grandma and Grandpa's house for Thanksgiving. Uh, and there, they would travel from near and far, spend uh, the weekend with Grandma and Grandpa. It was a beautiful uh, home. It was built by Grandpa after his service. He was a master builder, and uh, after he married Grandma, he built this, this uh, house, and it was two-story. It was 3,000 square feet. It had uh, a, a wraparound porch with with a roof on it and a covering. It had uh, updates on the inside. He was always updating over the decades, so it was quaint on the outside. It was modern on the inside. It sat on 24 acres outside of Boise, Idaho. And so it was beautiful. And, and Grandma had a garden that was award-winning. The adult children and the grandchildren would come and they would play games and they would have the huge Thanksgiving feast. And after the Thanksgiving meal, uh, one year, they played games late into the night. They put the grandkids to bed, and Grandma and Grandpa, they, they went into their room, and they were getting ready for bed, and the adult children stayed up pretty late in the living room, talking, laughing. They started to joke with one another about who would get the, uh, who would get the house, who would get the estate one day, until the joking and the laughing it got pretty serious. The oldest, Andrew, he said, well, seriously, I, I should be getting the house one day. I should be getting the estate because, well, I'm a successful businessman, and I'm good at real estate. I've turned over investments again and again and again, and this would be the right thing for dad and mom to do. So I should get it. It got even more serious. Uh, Becca, the only girl of the family, she said, well, I live the closest to, the, to, to mom and dad, and I'm the one that's taking them to doctor's appointments, and I'm the one that's taking, getting their pills for them, and I'm the one that's really caring for them. You guys live far away from here. Why would you get it? I'm here within an hour. And then the youngest, Chad, he said, well, <laughs> I thought that, I assumed I, I was going to get it because, you know, the kitchen renovation that I took off of work to do last summer I put hours into that, and I put hours into the renovations on the inside of this house. I thought that, and they really started to get tense the whole time. Mom and dad, they weren't in bed yet. They had heard it all. The next morning at breakfast, you could cut the tension with a plastic spoon. And grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, had talked about it what they would do. And grandma said to her children, or mom said to her children, I don't know what your plans are or what you think you're getting, but we have on this side of heaven more time behind us than we have in front of us with you. We love you, and we overheard your conversation last night. Grandpa said, and we have a plan. We have a question for each of you. And whoever can answer this question will give you the whole estate, the whole house. Whichever one of you can prove to us that you are completely content, you'll get the house. 
that afternoon, there was no Black Friday shopping. Dad took out the, his oldest son, the son that uh, first was, came home into that house as a baby, Andrew, and he took Andrew around as they drove around on the Polaris, and they talked. And he said to Andrew, are you completely content? And Andrew said, yeah, Dad, have you seen my business? Have you seen my net worth? I have plenty of money. I have no worries in the world. I have lots of, lots of success. My wife is happy. My kids are going to go to college, and they're going to be fine. I'm completely content. Do you want the house? Yeah, I want the house. And grandma, mom, she took out Becca, the only girl, and they went out to the garden to talk and to look at, at the garden. And that afternoon, she, she said, are you completely content? And Becca said, I am. I'm happily single after learning I, dating is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm career focused. I'm a lawyer now. I, I'm free enough that I can. And she reminded, made sure to remind grandma, mom, that she was taking her to her doctor's appointment next week and how much she cared for her. Do you want the house? Yes, she said, I want the house. And later, mom took out the youngest, Chad, and and she, she talked to him, and, and she said, are you content, Chad? And he said, I'm completely content. I'm really content. I mean, I'm just newly married. Uh, the first one's on this way. And, and Mom, I'm really content about that kitchen renovation last summer, aren't you? Do you want the house? Yeah, I want the house. Finally, they got everybody back together in the living room. And Grandpa said, We've learned something this afternoon, and we've learned that the good news is that you all are successful and happy. But the bad news is none of you are getting the house because none of you are content. How can you be content if you have everything and you still want more? Because the secret to contentment, Grandpa said, is wanting what you already have. The secret to contentment is wanting exactly what God has given you. The Apostle Paul, in in Philippians chapter 4, he says exactly that, and he gives us the recipe for contentment. The recipe for contentment, he says, is I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been wealthy, I've had little, and yet through it all, he says, I've learned the secret to contentment. And my friends, this morning, I want to share with you the secret to contentment from the Bible. From God's Word. That's where we are in Philippians chapter 4. This book is written um, later in Paul's life. He has done uh, missionary journeys, and in fact, he's established churches across Asia Minor. And this letter is written to a group of the people that he established a church in modern-day Philippi, or it's pronounced Philippi sometimes. The Philippians, or the Christian believers in Philippi, had received the gospel on Paul's second missionary journey around 49 AD. And there they had uh, received that message from Paul and it had taken root. Paul had raised up leaders and he had gone on from there. Now it's years later and, and Paul has found himself now in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And in prison, and this is one of four prison letters, Paul writes to the Philippians a letter of pure joy and contentment. And you, you scratch your head and say, how can he be so happy? How can he be so joy-filled? He uses the word joy, rejoice, or one of its 
forms 16 times throughout the letter. And then you get to chapter 4 where we are, and he says to them, this is how I find my contentment. This is how I find my joy. The Philippians knew that he was in jail, and they had tried to send him a gift, like a monetary gift or some kind of care package, because they wanted to show that they cared, but they weren't able to. They tried to send a church leader. In fact, they did send a church leader eventually. This man named Epaphroditus, he comes at the end of this reading, and he brings the letter to Paul, and he gives him support, and he gives him help. And Paul writes this letter and sends it with that church leader back to Philippi. That's the background to this, uh, to this reading, this, this uh, text in front of us. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul, from time to time, would make money on his own by, as a tent maker. He never went into a town and had a speaking fee. He didn't go and say, I'm going to give you the gospel if you give me money. And the Philippians knew that. He had told it to the Corinthians congregation when he went there. He said, I, I don't charge anything. You might have people coming into your church or into your town saying, we, I need money. But he says, I never ask for money. So he would have a tent-making business on the side to help support him. At the same time, some congregations would support him, like he's talking about here, the Philippians. The Philippians were trying to care for him because they saw him that he was in need. And so they tried sending him a gift, and one of two things happened. Either they couldn't raise the money, and they meant to do it, but they didn't have the means to do it. Or number two, there were no um, post office trucks leaving Philippi at the time. At that time, you had to depend on somebody, a traveler, to take a letter from one town to the next. And maybe there was no, uh, there was no route or no person available to give this gift. So that's why he says you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned what it means, uh, learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the first recipe, this is the first ingredient, ingredient in the recipe for contentment. It's not being rich, and it's not being poor. Paul knows what it means to be rich. He knows what it means to have an Ivy League education. He comes from the tribe of Benjamin, he said earlier in the letter. He has the pedigree. He has everything that the world says you need to be content, and he says that's not contentment. He knows what it means to be poor. He's been kicked out of towns, and he's been kicked for the gospel to the curb. He knows what it means to have nothing. He says both of those are problems, both of those are issues, and none of them have to do with contentment, neither being rich nor poor. You can ask people today, like a man named Mark Gardner, who won $35 million in the lottery. And today, he'll tell you, or at least the reports in the, in the articles say, that he would give it all back because his life has been completely ruined by money. He found no contentment in his winnings. His wife left him. His friends and his neighbors, they all thought they deserved a cut of it. And he wished that, they, that the money would just go away because it's created too many problems. Contentment cannot be found in money. Contentment cannot be found 
necessarily by giving all your money away and having nothing, because that's a problem too, we learned this series in Proverbs. Um, I remember a number of years ago, a man named James I met on the street, without a job, without a home, asking for a handout. His homelessness had come because he lost his job. And when he lost his job, he lost his wife, and his kids won't talk to him anymore because he's living in a truck. Whatever walk in life that you're in, whether you have a lot or whether you have little, whether you're Mark or whether you're James, the secret to contentment is realizing that on our own, we have nothing. On our own, we have nothing. At the same time, Paul writes, not his own achievements, not his own awards, not his own accolades, none of that has anything to do with where he finds his contentment. Just a chapter before, in Philippians 3, 7-9, he writes, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying, on our own, I have nothing. On my own, whether rich or poor, we all stand as beggars before God. The car that you drove here with, not yours. Don't credit it to your account before God. The meal that you had this week, as great as it was, not to your credit. We look for our righteousness in the things that we dress in, in the things that we do, in the pay that we get from our our boss and that we say, I deserve. These are things that we look for righteousness in. It's, it's often for 21st century North Americans in how we present ourselves. It's the friends that we make. It's the bottom line of the bank account that we have. We say that's our identity. That's what makes us important. That, and Paul's saying none of it. None of it makes you content. None of it adds up before God because he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so whether you're the richest of the rich or the poorest of the poor, you're all equal in God's sight, and you have to be redeemed by something other than that. You have to be redeemed by Jesus and faith in him. That's what makes you rich. That's what makes you content. Because with Jesus, you have everything. You might not have health right now. Well, You might not have that, but you have everything in Jesus who gives you forgiveness and eternal life and promises to watch over you and be your great physician and give you a life and a body past this world. That's contentment when you're unhealthy. With Christ, I have everything. And in verse 13, I want you to, if you take notes, verse 13 is one of these passages that gets snatched way out of context a lot. It says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So uh, the cameras are on that football player after the Super Bowl, right? And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's hot on the mic, and he's, he's talking about how his faith is so strong. He said, we could do this. I thought we could do this the whole time, and I told you I could do this. In fact, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
Or the young child that, that wants to be president. I can do all things. Jesus says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Okay, I, I love it that they're quoting the Bible, right? That they're thinking the Bible is important. But in context, when you hear this passage, this is a sidebar. When you hear this passage, it's talking about contentment. Contentment? Wait a second. So it's not talking about I can do everything. I can, I can fly? <laughs> like Peter Pan? <laughs> No, it's not talking about that at all. It's saying this. If you're poor, if you're unhealthy, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, healthy, wise, Paul is saying you can do all things through him who gives me strength. That means that you can endure is what he's saying. You can endure through the season of life. You can endure through the ups and the downs. Not soaring, not just saying I can do anything that God tells me. I can, I can sustain. My faith can sustain through him who gives me strength. That's the recipe, the ingredient for contentment Paul talks about here. On my own, I can do nothing. With Jesus, I'm everything in God's sight, forgiven by him. And that means that I can share. And that's the next ingredient. A content heart is one that shares. Verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Whether he received a gift from them or not, he's saying, I would be content. He, he says, because your heart was poised to give, that shows me that your heart has been transformed by Jesus. That shows me that in your need, and remember, the Philippians, it seems like they didn't have a lot. In their poverty, they were generous. Their bank account didn't dictate whether they would give or not. How can they get to that point? How can you and I get to that point where our generosity is so abundant that it doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor, we just share with one another. It's just, it's realizing how rich Jesus' love is for you. That's where this starts. I know that there are rich people in this world. A couple of them you might know from, well, one of them is in College Station, or at least he's packing his bags from College Station. He got a payout. The football coach from College Station got, I think, upwards of $76 million for being fired. I would say that's a pretty good deal. Pretty rich. The richest country in the world is Qatar. With a GDP per capita upwards of 97000 Wow. The richest person on the planet? Anybody want to guess? Did I hear Elon Musk? Upwards of, at least the last report from Forbes, 240 billion? Somebody that knows math better than me can figure out how much you have to spend each day to spend 240 billion dollars in your lifetime. But the point is this. God owns them all. God owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24. That's how rich the Philippians' God is. 
that's where their generosity has an upswell from, is they know that their God can meet all their needs and their God owns everything in the world. Therefore, they have an abundant, giving, generous heart that says nothing can be taken away from me. And, and that God who owns everything and is richer than all the nations in the world, more powerful than even the most powerful terrorist group that could take away life, it's that God that made himself poor, who made himself nothing, Paul writes earlier in this letter, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, that rich, generous God emptied himself and put himself on a cross like a servant to serve the Philippians, to serve me, to serve you, to forgive you and me so that we can be content, so that we are content. And we're generous out of that contentment. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, this is not saying what it sounds like in this translation. It sounds like in this translation that when you give gifts or when you give um, you know, gen when you generously give, it sounds like you're going to be credited to the account of your righteousness, um, or you're going to become better with God the more that you give. Some people might take that out of context, but a uh, different translation, the English Standard Version has this translation. It says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And that's a banking term. What he's saying is that the capital in your bank account with God is not your own. It's Jesus Christ and faith in him. He made that very clear. But what he's saying is the fruit is the interest. That's the term that means interest in this context. The interest that's coming off of your faith is blossoming. The compound interest that you give when you, when you make your faith active actually, actually gives into the kingdom and actually makes more joy out of the joy that's already there in the, in the capital. And so Paul's question for you and me is, do you realize that when you're generous with your time, when you're generous with your gifts, when you're generous with your friendships, with your family, when it comes out of a heart that is, that has been transformed by Jesus, by the gospel, the capital, when you do those things, when you give, when you are generous with your time, talents, and abilities, that means that's the compound interest coming off. That's the fruit of the gospel. That's the fruit of your life. That's what it means to live a life content, is wanting nothing more than you have, and with the rest, abundantly sharing it and blessing others. The secret to contentment is not that he desires the gifts, but he desires this, this fruit that's coming off of the account. Verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice in uh, verse 19, he says that God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory, meaning the secret ingredient to contentment is believing that God will meet all my needs 
not necessarily all my wants. Back in the day, there was a man that was like the Elon Musk of his day. His name was Henry Ford, and he had a lot of money. In fact, he was the richest man of his time, uh, and during that time that he had money, uh, it was reported that he would carry around a million dollars just for everyday spending. He'd carry around, and one day, one report, the newspaper said he lost $10 million, just forgot where it was. I don't know how you forget that, but he did. Now imagine for a minute that you're, you have some sort of uh, health issue with your child, and you need, you need money, and, and you're really in a tight spot. But you have this relationship, and you've been introduced to Henry Ford, and he invites you to come to his office to talk to him about your need. <clears throat> you go to his office, you sit down at the table, and there he is across from you. And you, you tell him about the need, your sick child, and... And Henry Ford says, well, what can I do? And you say, well, can you help out? Can you give? And he says, well, certainly. He pulls the checkbook out. If they had checkbooks back then, I'm not sure. And he writes you a check, and he puts it down, and he slides it across the table. And you pick up that check. $10. What do you say to Mr. Ford? You might say thank you, but you know something about him, right? You know that he's a rich man. So you slide that back to him and you say, Mr. Ford, with all due respect, you gave out of your riches. I'm asking now, can you give according to your riches? Did you notice what Paul says in verse 19? Does, he, does God give out of his riches? He gives according to his riches. So are you content with your walk in life? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with your singleness, your marriedness, your separatedness? Are you content with the bags that you carry, whether you're happy during the season or not? Remember that God gives you according to his riches in Christ Jesus, not just out of them. And that's going to lead to a life that is believing that God gives according to his riches and a life that results in confidence and contentment in every stage of life. And that contentment, like the Philippians, in every stage of life, whether rich or poor, whether in need, or want, or whether in plenty, will lead to, like the Philippians, a life filled with transparent generosity. In just a, a couple of moments, we will be receiving that generosity from God in the Lord's Supper, where he pours out his gifts again and again, saying, you're forgiven. You're my child. There's a feast that he's giving us in the supper. A feast that when we receive it, we can say, God, you've met all of my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus, who was rich, and yet he became poor. So make me content, because that is who I am, and Jesus my Savior.